Well, good morning. Um, no. I'm grateful for Dr. Ray's kind words. Um, I don't know if you really read through all of that, but did you catch what he said? He said, I've got some bad news for you. Brent is going to be preaching. So, I, 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 yeah, sorry about that. I apologize. Um, but I will tell you, when I started in ministry, um, wow, coming up on about 18 years ago, um, the first pastor I ever worked for, and this was before I ever was given an opportunity to speak to large groups, he told me, he goes, and, and I, I don't mean this in a vernacular, he was from Texas, so he was a hunter, that type of thing, but he looked at me and he goes, always have a bullet in the gun. And I never knew what that meant until I got a call one Sunday at 8.30 before a 9 o'clock service when the pastor said, I've broken my ribs, I can't speak, will you? Now I understand what it means to always have a bullet in the gun. You're always ready to go. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here. I'm grateful that we're able to line up a message this morning with our theme, with what we're talking about, as we talk about living life on mission. And what does that mean? And last week we talked about the importance of having a single word that might define your year. And maybe this year that word might be purpose or mission. But last week we looked at what is our mission? We studied what St. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 about the importance and what we're called to do to be ambassadors. And the way in which we live and the words in which we say, we're supposed to communicate the gospel message. The fact that you and I can be reconciled with God because of what Jesus did. Because Jesus voluntarily gave of himself, left heaven, was born of a virgin. Because he lived a sinless life, was he, because he was handed over to, to the Romans to be crucified. And after he was crucified, he was placed in a borrowed tomb. And he was there for three days. He rose again so that whoever believes in him can have eternal life. And God took our sin and placed it on Christ who had never sinned or didn't even know what sin was so that we could become righteous. And because of that, because we know that message and we have that message, we are now called to be ambassadors to others. And last week we looked at our mission. This week we're going to look at our motivation. This week we're going to look at why should we be ambassadors. What, what is it that drives us, that, that compels us? What is the motivating factor or what should be the motiva motivating factors in our lives so that we will now go understanding we're ambassadors and what we're supposed to do, we're now motivated to go accomplish the purpose we've been given. If you have a Bible this morning, I want to ask you to turn to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians. It's the same place we were last week, and um, we don't have nearly as much scripture up on the screens today as we normally would. Obviously, you were given blank notes when you came in. Um, it, for, for, you, for you, if you're anything like me, when you see an outline that has blanks on it, like it, Dr. Kifa's message is in there, I don't have the answers, so you're just going to have to endure the fact that you're never going to fill those blanks in, Okay. <laughs> I apologize. I don't know what those answers are. Um, but on the other side, if you got blank notes when you came in, there's a whole bunch of blanks. So you just write whatever you want to write. Um, if that's your grocery list, if that's, you know, you know your to-do list for the week, whatever it is you feel like you need to write, feel free to do that. But I do want to encourage you to turn to your Bible or turn to your electronic device to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you a little story um, that happened in the life of Christ. One day, there was, there were, there was a, a season where Jesus had been teaching in a certain region, and he went away for a few days. Had, his name had kind of gotten famous at this time, and he was away, and, and he had left and gone to Galilee and was coming back. 
And when he came back to town, he went to, to a friend's house, and, 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 he, and he was there, and, and because of what he had done there before, everybody knew who he was. You know, we have the, the privilege to, to live in, in a place like Palm Beach County, and you know, when there's, well, I'll tell you, this happened a few months ago. I was, in, I was at Moe's over in Legacy Place, right? And this, 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 there was all of a sudden, there was like this buzz. Like you could see people talking to each other and looking and, and they're, they're going around and everything. And, and I'm thinking, what's going on? And I look and sure enough, in line, you know, when, if, if you've ever been to Moe's, what do they say when you walk in? Welcome to Moe's, right? And who had walked through that door but Serena Williams? And, and if anybody knows, knows who she is, she, you know, world-class, best tennis player, possibly the best women's tennis player in the history of the world, and, and she walks into Moe's. First of all, I'm thinking, this is a highly trained professional athlete eating at Moe's. I'm eating at Moe's. Therefore, I am a highly trained professional athlete. <laughs> but when a celebrity walks in, there's just this buzz that happens. So Jesus goes into this house, and he's staying in this house. And the scriptures tell us that the house eventually became filled with people, jam-packed. There was not an open spot anywhere. People just kept filing in and coming in. And they don't have houses like we have houses today size-wise. These are just small things. They have open-air windows. There's people who are sitting in the windowsills, and there's people who are sticking their heads in. There's people who are sitting down on the outside just hoping to hear something that Jesus says. And he's in there, and he's teaching, and the people that are there are amazed. The scripture says that he taught unlike anybody had ever taught before. And he's in there and he's teaching and all this. Now, now imagine you, you're in there and you got there early. And so you're sitting there and, and Jesus is back here because the, the only way you actually were able to get in the room was to sit with your back to him. But you're kind of sitting there and you're just hanging on every single word that he's saying. And you're like, wow, I've never heard this before. This is amazing. All of a sudden, as you're sitting there, a, a, a stick falls on your head. You think, what, what is going on? You look up, and you don't see anything. You just, okay, okay, random. These people need to take care of their house a little bit better. Whatever. It's okay. Maybe, maybe the rush of people, there's just a, this huge amount. You're sitting there, and all of a sudden, you see a piece of clay fall right next to you. And then a, another piece of clay drops. And you're thinking, oh, my stars, the roof's about to collapse. What in the world is going on? And you look around, and you're thinking, Okay, what's my exit strategy? How am I going to get out of here? Because this roof is about to come down on all of us. And then a little bit more clay falls and maybe an, another stick. And then all of a sudden, there's just this bright dot on the floor. Well, not on the floor. You can't even see the floor. On the person sitting next to you, there's this bright dot right on their shoulder. And you look up, and initially you see at the very, very tip of the roof, you see a little hole. You can see the blue sky up there. And as you're looking up, and you're still trying to hear what Jesus is saying, but at this point, you're much more interested in the hole in the roof. As you're looking there, all of a sudden, somebody's head pops over. And they look down into the room. And you're thinking, what is going on? And then you see their hands stick in there. And they pull back a little bit of clay and a little bit of clay, and they pull another stick out. And then they pull some more clay and more clay. And this whole, this bright spot that was on the ground was about like this. All of a sudden, it gets like this and like this and like this. And it opens. And at this point, clearly, everybody in the room is distracted, right? When it was just you, it was like not a big deal. But now everybody's looking. And these guys are upstairs on top of the house, peeling the roof back. 
Uh, maybe the guy contracted to put a skylight in, not real sure what's going on. And then all of a sudden, they see a stretcher. You look up there, and there's this mat, you know, just a piece of cloth tied to two poles. And like, hey, yo, you down there, can, can you help, help a brother out? Can you help me real quick? So you look, and they start lowering this, this stretcher into the room. So people stand up, and, you know, they lower the body in, and, and they look down, and, and, and it's somebody who's unable to walk. That's why they're on a mat, and they're standing there, they're looking. And you look up, and there's four guys whose heads are just hanging over the edge, and they have the biggest smile ever on their face. And they're like, this is awesome. This is great. We just destroyed this guy's house. I don't care because this is what we're here to do. And Jesus looks over at the guy, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, in this house are, are some religious leaders, right? And these religious leaders are like, who in the world does he think he is? Who, who is he to think that he has the power to forgive somebody of their sin? Jesus, being God, knew what they were thinking. And he looks at him and he goes, well, really? This is what you're worried about? Let me ask you this. Is it harder for me to say your sins are forgiven? Or is it harder for me to, to, to tell him to pick up his mat and walk out of here? He goes, you know what, don't, don't even answer that. Look, I've already told you your sins are forgiven. Here's the deal. Now I want you to get up, pick up your mat, and go on your way. And this guy who was paralyzed, couldn't move, had to be carried around on a stretcher all the time if he ever moved. What did he do? He rolls over, stands up, picks up his mat, and goes on his way. Can you imagine if you had seen that? Can you imagine what that would have been like? You know, you're, you're there to hear Jesus teach, and all of a sudden you witnessed this whole thing happen. Up on the roof, you hear, you know, hooting and hollering. You hear high five, and you're like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, you remember that? Oh, man, that was awesome. Dude, I can't wait to see him down there. All right, man, great. We have a fifth. We can play basketball now. Man, this is great. This is exciting. Can you imagine what people thought as they saw this and as they witnessed it? There may have been some in there that were thinking, wow, the, the, the commitment that those guys had to make this happen. You, you may be the homeowner and you may be thinking, how am I ever going to fix this? But for most people, they saw a story and they saw an expression and they saw something that they would never forget the rest of their lives. They saw people who were willing to do whatever it took to make sure that that person came face to face with the only one that could take care of their needs. And they did whatever it took. I want you to kind of keep that story filed away in the back of your mind as we, as we take some time to explore what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. As we begin to look at and to process and think through what our motivation is so that we can live every day as missionaries so that we can live every day on mission for God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to start reading in verse 11, and I think we have it up on the screens there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 15. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, 
Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. As we look at this passage, and as we think about our motivation for being ambassadors, down a few verses later, we talked about this last week, that Paul says we are his ambassadors. And this is the exact same passage. What is our motivation for this? And I think there's three we're going to talk about today. There's a lot of different motivations, a lot of different reasons, but I think there's three big ones that we need to talk about today. The first one, the first motivation as to why we should be ambassadors is this, is because, because of God's love for us. Because of God's love for us. We should be ambassadors. We should be about the ministry of reconciliation because of God's love for us. Notice what Paul says in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Some translations may use the word compel. Literally translated, it means pressure that leads to action. You're driven. You're motivated. Do you know anybody who's motivated to accomplish something? You, you ever meet you know, those type A personalities that they're just driven, driven, driven. They're going to get stuff done. And it doesn't matter what they do, whether it's, whether it's an exercise program or reading or parenting or eating. Whatever it is, they're going to get it done. That's just who they are. It's just within them. They are driven. They are compelled. What is it that drives them? I don't know the answer to that. I'm not a psychologist. But for us in wanting to be ambassadors and supposed to be ambassadors, one of the things that should drive us, one of the things that should compel us is God's love for us. You see, in verse 15, Paul goes on and talks about this is why it's important that all have died. And then he goes on in verse 15 and says, he died for all so that those who might live. You see, Paul understood that God loved him so much that he didn't have a choice but to turn around and give other people that opportunity to experience a new life. Verse 17 talks about the fact that we have passed from the old to the new. So when you're driven by God's love, you begin to be an ambassador. Think about it in this context. When, when someone loves you, when your parents love you so very, very much and they care about you, maybe you didn't come from that home, but maybe you did. If you came from that type of home, you work harder. You want to do more. You want to honor them. You want to say thank you by the way in which you live because of their love for you. Maybe for your spouse. Or maybe you're not married yet. That person loves you. And so you choose to live a different life. You choose to live a certain way and do different things. Why? Because they love you, and you want to honor them and say, thank you for loving me. And you do that by loving others. When you experience the love of others, you act differently around them. And when you experience a love deeper than any person can give you, like the love of Christ, you act even more. So Paul says that he is compelled, controlled, he's motivated, he's driven by the love of Christ in his own life. God's love for us should motivate us to live on mission for him every day. That's one motivation. A second motivation is this. A second motivation is our love for others. Our love for others. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11. Just a few verses, the very first verse I read. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Now, anytime you see the word therefore, you have to understand that it's a connector word. So if you're reading along in the scriptures and you see the word therefore, that means you can take whatever you're, whatever you're reading right now, back it up a little bit, go up a little bit, and find out why it's connected. Therefore, because of this, now this. In verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, what does verse 10 say? Verse 10 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul says, in light of the fact that one day, one day everything we do will be evaluated, and one day everything that, that we were will be judged. Because of that, knowing the fear of the Lord, that, that's something that should kind of perk us up. That's something that should get us kind of aware of. This is, this is serious. This is, this is a pretty serious thing. Because we knew where we were going. We knew where we were headed. We knew what our old life was going to end up in. We knew that a life separate from Christ was going to be separation. That it meant that we were going to spend an eternity in hell. But because of what Christ has done, knowing the fear of the Lord... We don't want anybody else to experience that. We demonstrate our love to others, and we persuade them. We talk to them. We try to let them know, look, based on my experience, I know what was coming. I knew where I was headed, but God got a hold of me, and God reconciled me to himself, and God chose to, to reach down and, and to pull me out. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Christ has done. Because I've chosen to, to believe in him, and I've chosen to change my mind and the way I think and understand, and I've chosen to repent and to go a different direction. You see, we all, those who know Christ, we all know our story. What we were before Christ, what it was like when we came to know Christ, and what our life has been like since then. And everybody has this story over here. Everybody knows what it's like before Christ. And if we love others, we need to make sure that they're not going to end up where we were ended up, but by the grace of God. So if we love them, we should try to persuade them. Hey, look, I know the fear of the Lord. I've been there. I know what that's like. I know what's coming. Man, I can't tell you how much I love you. And I do not want you to experience what lies ahead. We should be motivated by a love for others. You see, we know the answer to our own messed up, broken lives. That answer is Jesus Christ. We should, if we love others, share the same thing. You've probably heard this illustration before, but think about it. If you had a cure for cancer, if today you could eradicate cancer from the planet in the next 30 days, because of your knowledge and your information, would you share it with anybody? Most people probably would. If you wouldn't, the Grinch has a heart bigger than you. We have a cure that's better than that. We have a solution to a bigger problem than that. The problem of sin, which results in death, there's only one solution and that's Christ. Why wouldn't we share that cure? 
Why wouldn't we help people find life? So our love for others should motivate us to live on mission for him. Where we live, where we work, where we play, every day we should be on mission. One, because of God's love for us, and two, because of our love for others. Now these are two really good reasons to, to live on mission. These are two really good motivations that quite frankly should be enough. The reality is, is if you know, our heart should be compelled and we should be driven because of God's love for us and, and because we love others. But just in case it isn't enough, maybe, maybe you understand those are internal uh, motivators and you're not necessarily internally motivated, you're more of an external motivation type of person. You need something on the outside that's going to encourage you to fulfill this. So let's step out of 2 Corinthians for a second. And, and I don't have these up on the slides or anything, but I'm going to read some verses to you. The third motivation is our love for God. We talked about God's love for us. We talked about our love for others. But now we're going to talk about whether or not you love God. In John chapter 14, before he's betrayed and the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus shares these words with his disciples. John chapter 14 and verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and will come to him and make our home with him. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus is saying this, if you love me, you will keep my commands. You say, well, that sounds like really legalistic. That sounds like, that doesn't sound like a God of grace. That doesn't sound like a God who just loves unconditionally. That sounds like a God who says, look, these are certain rules you have to obey. Think about it in the relationship you have with friends. When you love someone, you're willing to serve them. And you're willing to do what they ask you to do. And you're willing to, to see that that they're put in a place of authority over you because of who they are. When you care for somebody and you want to honor them, you, you follow them. Mutual submission, Paul talks about it. He says, submit to one another out of your love for Christ. You see, if we love God, he's not you know, a taskmaster that says, you will do this, this, and this, but, but he says, if you love me, you will do these things. And the flip side is, is if you don't do these things, then do you really love me at all? Well, what does that have to do with what we're talking about today? Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, final instructions before leaving, Jesus says to his disciples, go and make disciples. In Mark chapter 16, another great commission passage, Jesus looking at his disciples says, Go and preach the gospel in all the world. In John chapter 20 and verse 21, Jesus looking at the disciples says, Just like I was sent by the Father, I'm sending you. And finally in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It is a command from God to share the gospel with others.
and if you love God, you will obey him. This is the age-old argument that I'm sure that headed in today, uh, R3, Ray Underwood, who, you know, just had the baby, or Jackie, he and Jackie just had the baby. I'm sure that, that Ray has said multiple times, I will never look at my children and say, because I said so. And I can tell you about five years from now, he will learn, everybody says that. I told Amy, I'll never do that to my girls. I, I just won't. And not that my parents did it a lot to me. I just, I need a better reason than because I said so. But sometimes it's just easier to say, because I said so. Why should we share our faith with others? Why, why should we be ambassadors? God looks at us and says, because I said so. You don't need another reason. If you, if you need another reason, I've got other reasons, but this should be enough because I told you to. And if you love me, you will obey me. So since we love God, we should obey his command to share the gospel, to be ministers of reconciliation. So let's go back to our story from Mark chapter 2. Let's circle back as we think about these guys who, who brought somebody on a mat and, and tore open a roof and, and lowered him down. What you don't know of this story, I, I briefly touched on it, but if you go back and you read in Mark chapter 1, is that in this particular town, Jesus had already been doing ministry. And that people from all around the town came, the sick those who were possessed by demons, those who couldn't talk, those who couldn't see, those who couldn't walk. All of these people had already been brought to Jesus and they had experienced the life-changing power that comes in Christ. Then Jesus goes away to Galilee for a few days, a few weeks, a period of time, and he comes back. And when he comes back, now he's in this house and this house is jam-packed. The scripture doesn't tell us this, but I have a funny feeling that those four guys who brought that man on a mat experienced the love and change in Christ when he was there the first time. You see, when you, when you experience something, you want others to experience it as well. When it's life-changing, how many of you have said, you have to try this, it will change your life? And I believe they came in contact with Christ the first time he was in town. And they knew what, what he could do for them and how their life was headed a certain way and going down a certain path. And all of a sudden, they came in contact with Christ and their life was changed. And then when Jesus came back the second time, because of what Christ had done for them, they said, man, we got to get, get him there. We, we've got to, whatever it takes, we've got to make sure that they're able to come face to face with Jesus that they're able to hear his message of love and forgiveness. They understood God's love for them, and they were motivated to make sure that everybody they knew would have the same opportunity. But beyond that, and again, Scripture doesn't teach this, but I would imagine, contextually speaking and, and culturally speaking, they probably knew that guy before Jesus had come into town. You see, paralytics were, were, were considered kind of untouchable. You know, as far as the social scale was concerned, they, they couldn't do anything. They had to beg for a living. And, 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 as, and as someone who's paralyzed, in that time, they had to have someone carry them wherever they went, take them home if they had a home, and go back. And so these guys knew this person. 
probably because they either passed his cro- crossed his path every day or because they were paralyzed at one time too. Because they sat on the same street corner and begged for a living. Because they themselves may have been mute. They may have been possessed by a demon. They may have been paralyzed. They may have been deaf. And because of what Christ did for them, they want this guy to experience the same thing. They loved him. They were part of his social group. They hung out together. They, 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 they were the, the, the dregs of society, but they were their own tribe, their own culture. And they wanted them to experience the life change that they had. They loved that guy. And because of their new life, they loved their friend enough to make sure that he would experience new life as well. So what did they do? They picked him up. They took him to the house. They got to the door, and there's people just filled everywhere. It's not one of these, excuse me, pardon me, pardon me, excuse me. It's not, trying to, it's not like trying to get through the line at Disney. I mean, it is, it, you aren't moving. It's a wall of people. All right, so what's plan B? Plan B is, I don't know, but let's make it up as we go. How about the roof? That's an option. You really want to do that? This guy needs Christ. I'll do whatever it takes. So they go up on the roof. They tear a hole, and they lower him in. And what happens? His life is changed. Mark chapter 2 and verse 5 actually says this. Jesus when he saw their faith, said, my sons, my son, your sins are forgiven. It wasn't just his faith believing that God could change him, but the faith of those who brought him had an impact on his life being changed. So what's the point? What's the point of today? As we think about that story, as we look at our motivation, what's the point? We know that we're supposed to be God's ambassadors. We're supposed to be living and sharing, representing his story of reconciliation. Today, we've looked at why. Why? Because God loves us, because we love others, and because God said so. So what are we supposed to do now? There's a, Guillermo's going to put, go ahead, Guillermo. What is that? Anybody know what that is? The The Nike sign, right? Swoosh. The swoosh. What's their slogan? How do you know that? Because they put it everywhere, right? They get it out there. They basically tell people there's no excuse for not doing something. Just do it. Just do it. So what's the application for being an ambassador? What's the application for sharing the gospel? What's our takeaway today to share with others about the death, burial, resurrection of Christ in which we can find forgiveness, in which we can find hope, in which we can find eternal life if we would believe and repent. What's the walk away for us? Just do it. That's it. Just do it. The love of Christ compels us. You don't have to answer these questions, but I want you to think about this for a second. Does God love you? Does he love you a lot? How much does he love you? Is there anything that can ever separate his love? 
Have you ever experienced his love? Now, do you love God? Do you demonstrate that in the way you live your life? Do you show love to God? And do you love others? How much do you love others? Are you willing to share with them the answer for brokenness, the answer for lostness? If those things are real in your life, then we need to learn to live on mission, to live on purpose. We need to learn to persuade others to accept the free gift of salvation that comes in a relationship with Christ. We can do it every day, where we live, with our family, our normal traffic patterns, the stores we go to, the restaurants we eat at. We can do it where we work, with our coworkers, with those that, that we interact with on our jobs. And we can do it where we play, with our friends, our social settings, our hobbies. We can live on mission to be ambassadors because of God's love for us, because of our love for others, because God just told us to do it. Would you join with me as I ask God to help us this morning? With heads bowed and eyes closed, just in the quietness of this moment, if you're here today and and you understand that God has called us to live a life on mission, but you would just say, you know what, I need to work on this. I need to improve on this. It's hard for me. Maybe you need to ask God to, to open your eyes to people who need to hear this story. Maybe, you're, maybe you have a hard time just knowing anybody that doesn't know Christ. Ask God to introduce you to people, to show you a new traffic pattern so you can come across those who need to hear this message of reconciliation. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm afraid, I don't know how to do this. Ask God to show you how to do it. Ask God to, to give you divine appointments and, and opportunities to share that are clearly from God. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, I don't even know what this is all about. I, I, I've heard today this message of reconciliation. I've heard today that Jesus died because I'm a sinner. That he was buried in a tomb and then he rose again on the third day. Today, if that message resonates with you and you've never asked Christ to come into your life, maybe today's that day. Maybe today you ask him to come and to, to change. Maybe today's the day where you believe and you change the way you think about the world and allow God to, to be the primary focus. That you surrender your life to him. If you're in that place today, I'd invite you to pray something quietly where you are and just in your seat, quietly something like, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that Jesus is my Savior. God, come into my life. Make me a new person. Help me to, to live for you. If you prayed that prayer, then, then, you know, just in the simplicity, you've chosen to place your faith in Christ. And that brings joy to God. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, help us to be on mission. Help us to live every day with purpose. God, to see those come to, to faith in you. God, to see those turn and, 
and, and leave what they know to, to, to what can be. God, give us divine opportunities and appointments. Lord, help us to, to, to change our traffic patterns. Help us to slow down and have conversations. God, help us to communicate Christ's love and what he was willing to do so that we could have life. God, help us to be motivated, to be compelled, to be driven, to live life on mission. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.